One of the questions which was very high in the agenda, both politically and halachically, or I should say both politically and hashkafically, in the early 50s, was about the state of Israel taking money from um, from Germany. They called it the reparation money. Um, it's called the Wiedergutmachen. And it was a major controversy both amongst politicians and amongst Rabbanim and Jewish leaders as to what the approach to this should be. There's an interesting, um, there's a sefer um, called Oznaim Latoira. Oznaim Latoira was written by Rabbi Sorotskin. I have it at home, a fascinating sefer on Chumish where he goes through the whole Chumish and he always discusses very, very pshat questions, like the, the things in the story that are that you, you don't even question because you grew up with them, but they're actually glaringly like something strange, and he addresses it. It's a very fascinating book. Um, so over there on the Pasuk and Parshas B'Shalach, uh, Parshas B'Shalach, sorry, where it says, that Hashem said to Moshe, please um, speak to the people and ask them to go and request from their Egyptian neighbors the, the, to, to request from them gifts. Um, so the Medrash says, <coughs> the Gemara says actually in Brachas, that Hashem had to plead with Moshe <coughs> to, plead, to plead with the Jewish people to go and take these gifts. Because I promised Avram Avinu that after they served the foreign nation, they will go out with great wealth. Um, and if they don't do it, so then uh, I won't be able to, I won't have fulfilled, uh, Avram will come to me, Avram Avinu will come to me with a complaint that I didn't fulfill um, the full uh, deal. So the obvious question is, like, wh- wh- why was it necessary to plead with the Jewish people to take the money? And as if the only reason God wanted them to have the money was so that to set the record straight with Avram, but wasn't there sort of an integral thing that this is what's supposed to happen now? So... The Rabbi Sorotskin writes, and he applies this to the what was then the contemporary question of the reparations, was that the Jewish people didn't want to take the money from the Egyptians. After all the suffering that they had been through mm. under the hands of the Egyptians, they didn't want to give the Egyptians the feeling of, oh yeah, we did all that, but now we, we, we paid up for it. We gave our kofar. Um, mm. How do you say kofar in English? We mm. gave our... Um, uh, like atonement money. I mean, the the, the word repara- reparation means to repair, and and I, to me, in my, I'm, I'm not a linguistic, but the word in German "wiedergutmachen." Uh, if anybody speaks a little bit of German, it means to make things good again. In other words, we're going to give you this money, and now we're square. I mean, that's the word actually means like now we're even. <laughs> so, "wieder" means "wieder" means when something repeats itself. So Vider Gutmachen means that it's gonna we're gonna make it good the same way it was good before. It's not like to make it better. Vider Vider Gut means it's gonna be the same good like it was before. Oh, right? it's, I mean, it's a very strong. Again, I'm, again it we could dug be a I'm hole re- and then we filled it. It in. could yeah, it oh, could be I'm reading too much into the yeah. into the words, but the yeah. word, I don't know German either. I know Yiddish. Vider Gutmachen means to <laughs> to sort of to yeah. right. So so Rabbi Rabbi Sorotskin suggests. That this is why, um, this is why, 
um, this is why Hashem had to plead with Moshe Rabbeinu and Moshe Rabbeinu had to plead with the Jewish people that um, to take the money from the Egyptians in order to fulfill the promise to Avraham Avinu. So this question came up again in the early 50s, 52, 53, and it was a big machloikus between, uh, I think, Ben-Gurion and Begin were the two uh, names to the, to the two sides of the argument, and I'm sure that, you know, whatever. So, um, so yeah. So basically, there are three reasons, amongst the Rabbonim who speak about this, there seem to be three reasons as to why we should not take um, the reparations. Um, uh, so let me tell you the first one. The first one he says like this: there is a, um, there is a, um, this concept that you're not supposed to. I'll read you the words of the Rambam. Also, lahasi You're not allowed to give a good piece of advice um, to a goy or to a wicked avid even to give him advice to do a mitzvah. And he says that Daniel was punished because he advised Nebuchadnezzar to give tzedakah. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that he should give tzedakah and that will redeem his um, Avera because because of the tremendous schar in the mitzvah of tzedakah. And um, so Daniel was punished. So it's not a good idea for us to advise the Germans to give tzedakah because we're not supposed to give good advice to give tzedakah to wicked Germans. Is that now? Is that, is that correct that we initiate it? There's a few things about. We'll see, and we'll we'll get to a few things there are to say about this reason. About when it comes, to, I don't want to point out because this is a little bit relevant. We touched upon this in the Monday night class. That when it comes to taking tzedakah from the guy, besides the problem of telling the guy to do a mitzvah, and we don't want Rishoyim to be able to just get out their way by, by giving tzedakah. There's also the concept of Chilul Hashem, that as if the Jewish community can't support themselves, and we need to be all, um, uh, we, we need to be very um, dependent, dependent on, on, on the guy. Honestly, when I saw this reason, I'll tell you what came to my mind. This reason was advanced by Rabbi Levin, who was a Rav in Memphis, and um, what came to my mind was that Rabbi Levin felt um, instinctively that this was a bad idea and that it was not a it wasn't a good idea for the, for the Jews to, for the Jews to be taking the reparation money, and he was looking for a source in, in halacha to right sometimes, and I think it's a, it's a, bit, a little bit I don't I, I'm not saying Hashem anything against Rabbi Levin I don't know anything about him really, but. Um, I think that sometimes we have this sort of need that everything has to be halacha. So if it's bad, halacha must say it's wrong. And if it's good, halacha must say it's good. But I think we, it's important for us to realize that sometimes there could be uh, the sidiratums, which are Torah values, um, whether pro something or against something, and we don't necessarily need to have a halacha for it. Now, um, we'll see soon what the, those who were for the reparations didn't seem to be bothered by this problem, so we'll discuss that. But, I yeah, but you, are you saying that because of what I asked? That this is not us going to them? Well, this is them initiating? I think, well, if you, if you, if you, if you, you want to push me there, I'll go there straight away. Those who, um, who both, well, for example, 
um, Rabbi, the, the, one of the strongest Rabbonim who was very pro taking reparations was Rabbi Rabbi Yosef Eliyahu Henkin. Rabbi Yosef Eliyahu Henkin was a very prominent Rav in America who was considered um, by many would, have, would consider him the post Kadir before Moshe Feinstein. Um, he was pa- he was a very old. He had smicha, I think, from Laura Hashulchan. Um, and he lived to a very advanced age, possibly even over a hundred. Um, and he was a very prominent Rav. And even Ramosha, who doesn't Ramosha doesn't really care about what Achreinim have to say very much, but he does he does in certain isu- major issues. He does uh, civil marriages and others. He does um, reckon with Rabbi, Rabbi Henkin. Rabbi Henkin had a grandson whose name was help me out, Ari. Rabbi, oh. Um, I forget his first name. Yehuda Herzl. Yehuda Herzl Henkin was a grandson of Yosef Elio Henkin, who was a very famous, prominent Zionist of. And he had a son called Asam Henkin, Hashem Yakum Dama, who was a very prominent Talmud Chacham and a very important uh, author, a very young man actually, who was killed uh, with his family on Chalamoyed Sukkot, I believe, uh, a few years ago. Um, the one that I read uh, his his tshuva is a lot. That's the grandson, that's or the son. No, there's no son. There's a grandson and a great grandson. Oh, okay. <laughs> the son, I mean, there was a son, obviously, but yeah, he, but he wasn't. A, uh, yeah. The one that has like a there's a lot of. I forgot the name of the sefer, but there's it's. Shuvah, 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 um, something bonim. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's the grandson. Okay, it's the grandson, not the great grandson. Yes. Um. So anyway. So he says that this is not Sadaka. It's, it's, it's not Sadaka. This is Beheshav Asakzela. Right? You know, they're returning their, th- the, their theft. They're paying right? a debt. They're paying a debt. This is not, uh, this is not mm-hmm. Sadaka. Um, now, I don't know exactly how the reparations work and what it, what it worked and what amount of money they gave and how they figured. I don't know. But the idea was that we're, they're paying back money. Or they didn't just murder, they pillaged. Right, exactly. So there was a financial debt. There's no concept. Um, and I'll, I'll read you later the, the letter of the Rebbe on this topic. And the Rebbe made the same, the same argument. Um, Even the Swiss had to give back one and a half billion dollars recently. Really? Which was a pit To individuals or to the state? To the state of Israel. To give to people. Because this was a pittance. All the money they wandered for the Nazis. And they complained about it. All right. Okay. The other, another rav, another prominent rav in America who was very vehemently against the reparations was Rav J. B. Soloveitchik. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he <coughs> even said in one of his drushes, he said that it, it's, it's such a shanda that the rabbonim didn't get involved and that we allowed this decision to be made by Ben Gurion. And had the rabbonim been involved and made the appropriate ruckus about this when, when when this was the thing then we would have then they uh, then they would have listened to us and subsequently we, they would have listened to us when it came to other important things such as um, uh, other halakhic geiros and all sorts of things that are relevant in in Israel. Well they were anti-Zionist. So um, anyway so Rav JB so, so Rav JB said basically he said two things he said first of all and, the, and, and this is sort of brings of what uh, <coughs> Rabbi uh, Sorotskin wrote, that um, that um, 
to allow the Germans to have this feeling as if they've paid up their kaifer <coughs> and now, now, now they've atoned for their sins and it's video gutmachen is is the biggest crime possible. Um, secondly, he says that, and and here he gets he has a deal for the Rambam. So the Rambam in Hilchus Malachim, the law, the, well, the laws of of um, how do you call it, of foreign affairs, yeah. So the Rambam addresses two mitzvahs in the Halacha Dalad, Dalad, he addresses the mitzvah of Mechia Shivas Amamin, the mitzvah to annihilate the seven nations, the seven Canaanite nations, and he explains what the mitzvah is, and then he says um, that the mitzvah is to kill them basically, and anybody who has an opportunity to kill one of the seven nations, a member of the seven nations, but doesn't, has violated the mitzvah of Lezichayah Kol Neshama, not to allow anyone to live. However, the seven nations have already been... There's no there's no remnants left of them, and therefore, practically <coughs> speaking, this is not a mitzvah that can be violated any longer, because there are no longer... The seven nations don't exist anymore. Um, where, prime, the way the Mepharshim explained it was because there's the concept of Sancherev, who came and mixed up all the nations. So the few Canaanites who were left were intermingled into other nations uh, to such a and there was such a extreme minority that it's already considered completely irrelevant and um, and therefore there's no mitzvah anymore to practically speaking there's no mitzvah anymore to kill the seven nations of the Canaan. Then in the next halacha he says like this similarly there is a positive mitzvah to eradicate the memory of Amalek as the Pasuk said we just read this Pasha Zacher yeah eradicate the memory of Amalek. It's also a positive mitzvah to constantly remember their evil deeds and their ambushing in order to um, keep alive the hate to Amalek. You should remember what Amalek did to you. Um, okay, and then he brings more psukim. So Rav J.B. Um, explained this Rambam he's, uh, in the name of his father and perhaps even his grandfather, Rav Chaim Briska, that he said, that, well, why is it that when the Rambam talks about the seven nations, he finishes off that Kfar Ovat Zichram, that there's no, nothing left. When he talks about Amalek, he doesn't say that. Hmm. So Rav J.B. comes up with a major Chiddush, again, in the name of his father, Amosha, in the name of his father, I think there's different reports of, uh, you know, of how far back it goes in the Briska dynasty. That um, that what the Rambam is, is means to say is that the din of Amalek is not actually limited to the biological descendants of um, Amalek, the son of Alifa, as the son of Esau. For a moment, but any nation which come as a not as an individual, but as a party, as a nation, and their entire established uh, agenda, which is Chorus al-Diglam, engraved on their flag, is to annihilate the Jewish people, so then they have the same din of Amalek, and Amalek we have to completely eradicate not only their people, but their mention, and the name, even Yishol, was had to kill all their animals, no memory or remnants or any zecher of Amalek can be tolerated, and therefore the same apply to the German, applies to the Germans. And if you really want to, if you're not convinced um, to the degree to which J- Rev. J.B. held this in absolute 
um, in, in absolute terms. So you're very welcome. Next time you meet him, he comes to Chicago every so often to speak to Rav Herschel Schachter, who was Talmud Mufak of Rav JB. And he will explain to you um, that Rav JB meant this very to be taken very literally and very uh, that the Germans are actually uh, the embodiment, uh, halachically, the embodiment of Amalek. And um, therefore, um, we have to treat them as such. Yes. One second. I think Mordechai was first. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, I was just going to mention that uh, this is very consistent with what you mentioned inside the Yerushalmi <coughs> last uh, Sunday morning for Haman. Right, exactly, very good, right? So, so I actually looked that up again. There is this obscure, well, the Yerushalmi is not obscure. The Yerushalmi says, was Haman really the son of Hamdasa? Oh. Rather, Haman um, was just, uh, he behaved like the son of Hamdasa, so therefore, right, so that, that's a very good horror. And, and that sort of indicates that Amalek doesn't actually have to be um, a biological descendant. I will add that I did look it up again this week, and whatever the Yerushalmi means, I think it is difficult to claim that, that Haman was not a biological descendant of Amalek because there are numerous other sources which actually enumerate the exact lineage of Haman to Amalek, to Agag and to Amalek. So... It's 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 a it's a very good horror, but I I think it is a little bit of an obscure opinion to say that Haman wasn't a biological descendant of Amalek, and as we'll see in a moment, there are numerous other issues um, with this um, with this uh, with this with this approach. Yes, Mark. So there's no distinction between Nazism and, and, the, and the Germans. Mm-hmm. And that in this new generation, mm-hmm. these Germans were not part of or participated in the Holocaust. Okay, that's a very, very important um, um, point so that you're raising. So therefore, I would say it would be okay to take the reparations. Okay, so it's a very important point, and I promise you that if you stay with us till the end of the class, it will be addressed. <laughs> um, so... Um, let's start with the Rambam because ostensibly we had here a duke in the Rambam that the Rambam says that when he talks about the seven nations he says that there's nothing left of them when he talks about Amalek he doesn't say that now if you a closer reading at the Rambam could tell you that actually there's no duke here whatsoever first of all when it comes to the seven nations he says that there is a mitzvah to eradicate them and there's nothing left to eradicate. When it says that the Ba'amalik, he says two things. First of all, there's a mitzvah to eradicate them. And second of all, there's a mitzvah to constantly remember their hate and uh, what they did in order to remember the hatred to Amalik, which, like is, like Mufarshim explained in many places, that um, I, I could probably even read you a quote, if I'm, but I don't want to spend the time finding it, about the, 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 the reason for this mitzvah is that we should... Uh, this is this is this is necessary. Not just the the necessity to remember what Amalek did to us is not merely so that we eradicate the descendants of Amalek, but there's also an objective um, again reason for this. Even if Amalek doesn't exist anymore, but people who behave similar to Amalek to remember to stand up for our own 
covered and uh, not allow other people to get away with similar things, etc. So therefore the Rambam can't say that this mitzvah is no longer relevant because even though perhaps the mitzvah to eradicate the descendants of Amalek may be no longer relevant, <coughs> but the mitzvah to eradicate, to, to remember what Amalek did to us is relevant. So therefore the Rambam can't say that it's not relevant anymore. Um, so that's that's one thing. However, more importantly, is that the Rambam explicitly says in Sefer Hamitzvahs, the Rambam, if you, the, 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 the Rambam and all the other Meinah Hamitzvahs have to deal with a big issue when they talk about what the 613 mitzvahs are, because we all know, and it's the Gemara, and it's, uh, it's obvious that it's uh, this was common knowledge a long time before the Gemara that there are 613 mitzvahs. However, if you read through the whole Hamisha Chumshatera, you will see that there are a lot more than 613 mitzvahs. So what the various many mitzvahs and the Rambam, perhaps Bereshram, had to do was come up with a formula to decide which mitzvahs do not count as one of the 613. So, for example, one of the mitzvahs in the Torah in Parshish Boi is that thou shalt smear blood on the doorposts of your house on the night of the 14th of Egypt, right? That is not one of the 613 mitzvahs. Why? Because one of the first rules is that the 613 mitzvahs are only things which are noyag luderus, things which have eternal relevance. Or oh, eternal I did that <laughs> <laughs> right? So, because the mitzvah to smear blood on the doorposts, and by the way, Philip, I want to thank you for coming because you brought the Shechina. The Rebbe used to speak very often, and the Alter Rebbe speaks in Tanya about the virtue of learning Torah with a minion. So I think you made the minion, right? Yes. <laughs> he does that a lot. <laughs> he does that a lot. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, so so the Ramba, so, so so based on this, the Rambam has a question. Well, if the mitzvah to annihilate seven nations is no longer relevant because there are no seven nations left, so how could I count annihilating the seven mitzvah, nations as one of the six hundred and thirteen mitzvahs when that's not that was that, that's not an eternal mitzvah? So Ram says no. And he says, um, for example, Hashem commanded us to destroy the descendants of Amalek. Now, it will happen soon, as Hashem promised that I will, Hashem, will wipe out the Zechar Amalek. So it will happen that Amalek will be completely eradicated. Would we then turn back and say that the mitzvah to eradicate Amalek is not an eternal mitzvah? says, no. The mitzvah is, the mitzvah applies any time, any time that there is a, an Amalekite around, in any time, in any place, you have to eradicate him. Hmm. So even though tec- technically, sort of, um, there's this problem that there are no Amalekites left, right, we still have to, we, uh, that would not make it not be an eternal mitzvah, and therefore the same applies to the mitzvah of eradicating the seven nations. But what's apparent from that Rambam is that the Rambam held that there were still Amalekim around. So while Sancheirev, or whatever the reason is, that the seven nations were completely eradicated, um, Amalek has not been completely eradicated, and there are, or at least there were in the times of the Rambam, still people who were ostensibly, identifiably, descendants of Amalek. So the question is a bit of a storm in a teacup, because... What it, the Rambam says about the seven nations that of a zikram it's no longer relevant, and he doesn't say so about Amalek. So that's proof that the mitzvah to eradicate Amalek applies even to nations such as the Nazi Germany. Well, possibly, but but possibly the Rambam just held that Amalek was still around. 
<laughs> so, so you can't ask why does the Rambam say they're not around when he believed that they were around, right? So yeah, but you still have to explain the, the difference between that and the Shiva Amin. Why the Rambam held that the Shiva Amin are not around and Amalek is around is one question, but it's obvious from his from the Sefer Mitzvah that that's what he held that there weren't individuals who were biological descendants of Amalek Ben Alifas Ben Esav who were still alive. Right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know who they were, but the Rambam writes explicitly in Sefer Mitzvah that so that is the case. And that leads me on to a, another... But he, but he also writes explicitly that there are people from the Shem Amin. No, irrelevant. he doesn't. He says, ju- he says they, they exist, they're just, they're no. just irrelevant because they're so mixed up. Like there's little remnants he, of... He just says, of he doesn't say that there's still... I mean, the, the Mephashim explain that that's what he means, but... Practically speaking, there it's considered the bottle Baroi, whatever the one this is, it's considered that they don't exist anymore. But for some reason, even though Amalek is mixed into other nations, they're not. Again, I don't know why the Rambam held that about Amalek, but it's obvious from his Sefer Mitzvah that. Uh, right. And that leads me on to another thing, because there is also, and uh, I'm acknowledging that I'm maybe going around a little bit of here, there is a Kabbalah Beshem the Vilna Goin, that the German nation are are descendants of Amalek. Now, th- the reason why that's important is because the Vilna Goyen lived a long time before Nazi Germany. Um, however, again, practically speaking, and nowadays everything is Wikipediable, uh, the German nation today, and even Nazi Germany, was comprised of, I don't know, 50 other, 50 tribes, or 150 tribes, I don't know the number, you could find this on Wikipedia. Mm. All the nations that came together and comprised Germany. So, to was England. So to say, England. I, I don't know. England, their cousin. Okay, I don't know. Again, I don't know the history, but the Rambam in in the Rambam in Merinavuchim writes that one of the reasons why the Torah is so explicit with the genealogy of Esau's family is because the mitzvah to eradicate Amalek is only specifically to the biological descendants of Amalek, the son of Eliphaz, the son of Esau, and not to any of the other descendants of Esau. So he want, the Torah wants to make sure that the people who get killed are only going to be the descendants of Amalek, not their cousins, right? So to come and say that the whole German nation are, um, are, are descendants of Amalek, or furthermore, to come and suggest, like Rav J.B. did, that anybody who behaves like Amalek is punishable the same way Amalek was, seems to be, a, 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 and, and to attribute that view to the Rambam, seems to be a bit of a stretch, considering what the Rambam writes in Merinavuchim, that the Torah wants to make it very clear that it is only the d- direct descendants of um, Amalek. Now, I don't know what the what, what the what Rav J.B.'s approach was in general to the Merinavuchim, and if he... Yeah, I I, 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 but I know, for, I, I, I know for a fact, uh, almost a fact, because I've seen this like discussed, the whole sheet of, 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 of uh, Rev. J.B. Soloveitchik on this issue. On what? On the murder of him on, on Amalek. On Amalek. Even though he sounded very strong in his statement when he said that, when he said that, that one time, he qualified the statement afterwards. That he first said, he said I, w- I would not say to kill the children. So, yeah, if it's really Amalek, so then it would have all the halachas of Amalek, it would include the women and the children. And then he said, no, that's not what I meant. Right, no, because he has a whole. I don't know if he really. So, (laughs) so one of the things, no, because because he would probably because once because once you extend it to not being biological, 
So then it's only the generation, and this is the point that Mark Siegel was making, that perhaps this approach would be legitimate to talking about the Germans in the 40s and the 50s, and I don't know where you draw the line, but like it doesn't apply to the Germans in 2019. And again, whether you mm -hmm. draw the line in exactly what year you draw the line, I don't know. But right. Now, another point is, because I didn't even read to you the Josh over here from Henkin, where he was very upset. Henkin was very, very upset about those Rabbonim, Rev. J.B., and others who were against the reparations. And basically he says, I mean, I could read to you what he writes. We're talking now about the, the reparations from Germany. The fact was the Deutsche Regierung an erkennter Schuld hat a größer Wert verjeden. The fact that German, the German government is acknowledging its guilt is very valuable to us Jews. And the Geld was a given in Zeichepes Wert, the money that they give us also has some value. Größe Länder verstehen, as man will, schauen können, können Brüges nicht vielen mit Länder befragt mit Größe. International, uh, I don't know how to say this, uh, big, great nations, he says, everyone understands that if you want to have a peaceful humanity, you can't, uh, you, you, you can't sort of continue to breed hatred against uh, very big countries. It's obvious that the state of Israel has to keep peace. To those who stretch out their hands to want peace. Unfortunately, there are many people who write, uh, who are speaking and writing against this. Just the speaking against taking the money, even if we don't listen to them, just the speaking and making a ruckus about not taking the money is very damaging to our uh, peaceful living with the nation. Now, Rav Henkin clearly had a very a certain political approach and also a, a very old-timer approach, and he's not the only one from that generation, who their approach to Golos was very subservient. Like, Hashem wants us to be in Golos, we are in Golos um, under, under the rule of the nations of the world, and we should just hang our heads low and do what they say. There was a... I actually heard this. Somebody was telling me a story that he was walking, Rabbi Yitzchak Tubov. Rabbi Yitzchak Tubov was an elder Chabad Chassid who lived in Manchester, who also was actually very Marech Yomim. He passed away in the, I think in Lamed Vav, I think in 76 or 77, also at a very old age. Um, and he, um, he was an old man. He And he, uh, there's a lot of stories about him, but somebody, I'm trying to remember who was telling me that he was walking with him in the street in Manchester, and Yitzhak was a Choshevarov, yeah? And uh, two, as they say in England, two yaks, two, two young uh, goyim were, were walking the other way on the sidewalk. And um, Yitzhak Dubov, with his companion, sort of moved to the side and waited for them to pass, and then he continued walking. And the person he was with was a bit like, you know, <laughs> And Rabbi Yitzchak said to him, We're in Golos by them. In other words, there was this approach that some people had that, now obviously this doesn't, especially for the Zionists amongst us, this is very, this is, I mean, this is, this is, if you really want to get into the politics of Zionism, this is really the crux of it. But, um, but, um, but, um, <laughs> 
but there was this approach, and clearly, I mean, I, I, I don't think Rav Henkin, I mean, there's a lot to be said about Rav Henkin's approach to Zionism, but Rav Henkin wasn't anti-Zionist, uh, well, that's not true, he was anti-Zionist before the establishment of the state, he had a very nuanced approach, because, and possibly similar to the Rebbe, actually, in this, that because the, the Rebbe's approach to Zionism, um, I believe, changed drastically after the fact, in other words, after the establishment of the state, um, that that once it's a fact, now now our approach has to change, and as we'll see soon, the Rebbe had a similar approach to the reparations. Um, it's it's hard to know exactly because the Rebbe was you know we all know that everything that had to do with Israel we we know what the Rebbe's opinion is, but the Rebbe actually never spoke publicly about anything to do with Israel with the state of Israel until uh, the weeks le- um, leading up to the Six Day War in sixty seven. So anything that we know about the Rebbe's approach to Israel before that is only from either from, you know, from hearsay or stories that we know from people that the Rebbe said to people privately, and there are a few, there are some letters, but there isn't a, so rumor has it that the Rebbe was vehemently against the state of Israel taking the reparations, but there's no, there's no recording or uh, I think there's one or two letters which can shed some light on it. Um, anyway, let's get back to Rav Henkin's uh, drasha here. Um, then he says another thing, and I think this is also similar, uh, similar to uh, a relevant point. He says, The whole approach to uh, blame an entire nation for the actions of a revolutionary government is incorrect. Mm. Right? Now that, I'm not going to, you know, again, there's another whole paragraph here, but, 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 but that, so that's also up for discussion because the Maisa, the Nazi party was uh, voted into power and um, and um, and they were very and and I think the vast majority the history tells us that the vast majority of Germany went with them so to say that we have to have peace with the nations yes that's true but perhaps there's a difference between again between the the how do you call it the the the, 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 the stylistic Hamolik that they were Ashoka- they jumped in like the Marshal of Abolik, that they jumped into the boiling hot water and cooled it up, cooled it off for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Polish were also and the and the, and, the, and the Lithuanian and all the goyim who went with them. But Germany was the was the initiator of this whole thing. So to say that they, you know if you're not going to make peace with Germany, then you're going to be breakers with the whole world, and then the state of Israel has no chance of survival. I mean. That you, it is possible to draw a line one minute between Germany and uh, and the others. And then he says another thing. He says the idea of it being a Malik, he says, the Torah says, Hashem that the mitzvah to eradicate a Malik is only when Hashem tells you to do so, al Novi, and you can't just... He was very disturbed by Rav J.B. applying um, a Malik to this whole thing. Before I take any questions, I want to say one more thing. Um, there is a very important thing to say about Amalek. Um, Rab, there's a Gemara, I'll, I'll, I'll preface this with a Gemara in Sukkah, in Yuma, sorry. The Gemara says like this, there was a story, I'll just read you the translation, Tan Rabbanans, Yuma, Chaf Gimel, A, as Shmuel Goodman says, 23A as an apple. Um, <laughs> following incident occurred with two Kayanim, who were both even as they ran and ascended the, the ramp. When one of them came within four amas of the altar before his colleague did, the second one took a knife and drove it into his colleague's heart, killing him. Rabbi Tzadik stood on the steps of the ulam, and he cried out, Brothers of house of Israel, listen. The Torah says, If a corpse will be found in the land, your elders and judges go out to perform the ritual of the Egla Rufa, 
the 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 calf which they decapitate, yeah. As for us, upon whom does the responsibility for? Uh, fall to bring in Eglah Rufa. Does the responsibility uh, fall on the residents of the city of Jerusalem or the Kayanim who are the temple, uh, who guard the temple courtyards? Upon hearing this, all of the people burst out crying, and the father of the slain boy came and found that he was, the, he was, ri- he was writhing on the floor. Not dead yet. Yeah, and he said, Behold, he is your atonement. My son is still writhing, and therefore the knife did not become Tommy. Okay, so then the Gemara says... Um, hold on a second. Um, what, what, what's he talking about? Egla Rufa. Yerushalayim never brings an Egla Rufa. And they, there was a witness. And they knew who they the bro- <laughs> Rufa can't be brought in Yerushalayim. Right. Egla Rufa can't be brought if you know who the murderer was. So right. what's going on over here? Right? Yeah. So the Gemara says the purpose of Rabsadik's statement, he didn't actually mean that somebody has to bring an Egla Rufa. He wanted to increase the people's wailing. Right? As the as the Bryce itself says that when he said that, go all the people burst out crying. So in that vein, and this is this this is pointed out by Rabbi Nochum Rabbi Novish from Israel, who's Yeah, yeah, what's a, what's his safer called? Um I forgot what his safe is called. Anyway, so yeah, he says there's a very big difference between talking about the Germans being the um and I'm 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 lacking a good word here, but there's a big difference between talking about the Germans being the philo- the philosophical or philosophically the incarnation of Amalek, and applying to the and, and and then to start getting technical and halachic about the mitzvahs and the right of Amalek applying to them. To say that the mitzvahs of, of the Amalek actually in a halachic way apply to them is, like you said, redactio ad absurdum. You're going to start killing today all the descent, uh, all the men, women, and children in Germany? Um, I mean, it's ridiculous, right? But, um, but, but so, so, so there is this desideratum, or this idea, that we could say that, yes, the Nazi Germany was the incarnation of Amalek, but, uh, and, and that may even lead you to be against taking the reparations from them. But, be careful when you say that they are actually Alpian being Madaik in the Rambam and, and sort of creating this um, technical Amalek out of it. So that's, that, that's a very important distinction to be made. Yes? I went to Israel in <coughs> 72 to learn for two years. I was there during the October War. I had neighbors, they were Germans, elderly couple. They told me this whole story about the reparations. What it was basically that happened was in the early 50s in Israel there was a big recession. A lot of Jews were leaving. And they actually left and went to the States for a while. But he said when the reparations came, they went back to Israel. And this helped a lot of people who were uh, leaving the state. So. As far as he was concerned, he told me it would never pay because he lost people in the Holocaust. But at least for him and and his children, this was helpful for them to be able to stay in there. I'm sure that was a big part of the argument of Ben Gurion and those who were very. Oh, absolutely. Helped my grandma. Absolutely, yeah. What was that, 60 grand a year or something? They They got a lot of money. Yeah. This isn't the emotional question, but the, but the, the parties to this transaction are the country Germany, right? 
and the country, the state of Israel. Right. What does this have to do with the Jewish people in Halacha? In other words, the state of Israel was a governmental body. The fact that they may call themselves the Jewish state, etc., is not. How is that relevant to Halacha? In other words, the. She had the idea of buying a building. There. It's not like she a Jew is saying, "Yeah, okay, I'll take My the money." Grandfather said, "Well, I, I think the fact that in again a, a, a big part of the discussion also was but nobody's going to live here." Kiddush Hashem, hundred percent, and the fact that the Germans are going to be able to feel good about themselves. So, whether or not, whatever your approach to the state of Israel is, the fact that in the eyes of the world, and perhaps more importantly, in the eyes of the Germans, yes. They have, we have paid Israel, and now we're all good again, right. is something that, that, that's irrelevant. Right, but the, the postcom are not discussing that. Well, uh, uh, if you want to know, I mean, if J.B. was a Zionist, right, he believed that the state of Israel had uh, halachic status of almost, I mean, I don't know exactly if J.B.'s, I know if Shachter holds that the state of Israel based almost has a din of a melech, and uh, I mean, he, he's very extreme with his halachic Zionism. So, uh, you know. That was a seventh seat. Okay, Rabbi, so let's continue. Yeah. So you just paid, and you me and you share a ride. Those things were awesome. There is, I want to, I want to, just a couple more things. Benigay, the second Taina that they said, sorry, the first Taina about the taking Tzedakah versus Reheshev Esakzelo, so there's a relevant Gemara, which I'm surprised didn't come up there. There's a Gemara over here in Sanhedrin, um... There was this individual by the name of Gvia Ben Pesisa who he was often volunteering to be um, the representative of the Jewish people to debate. Tall guy. What? Tall guy. So he said like this. <laughs> Again, I'll just read you straight the translation. Um, another time, this is a continuation to the previous story, story, the Egyptians came to contend with the Jews before Alexander Moikdoin. That's Alexander the Great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The Jewishman said to them, "Behold, it says in the Torah of the Jews, Hashem gave the Jewish people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, and they hmm, it says here, and they lent to them uh, gold and silver and other valuables which the Jews never returned." Um, the translation by Yashilam and they lent them is uh, highly questionable, but let's skip that for now. Um, Thus, we claim from the Jews, "Give us the silver and gold that you took from us." So Gvir ben Pesisa said to the sages, give me permission and I will go and debate them before Alexander. If they defeat me in the debate, then you all say to them, ah, an ordinary one among us that you have defeated, he's just a lay person. But if I defeat them, you say to them, you see the Torah of Moses, our teachers has defeated you. And so, it's a win-win situation. <coughs> so he goes. So they gave him permission. <coughs> Sages gave him permission and he went and debated the Egyptians. Um, I think the Egyptians is a Greek sieve because it says Egyptians. Um, he said to them, Before, where do you bring proof that we took gold and silver from you in the Torah? So he said, What do you mean? It says in the Torah. He says, I'm also going to bring you a proof only from the Torah. It says in the Torah, and the stay of the children in Israel that they stayed in Egypt was 430 years. Give us the wages for the labor of the 600,000 men that, that you enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. And this sum surely far exceeds anything that we might owe you. So then Alexander said to the Egyptians, No, what do you have to say to that? So they asked for three days to think about it. 
<laughs> and they couldn't, they were, gave them the time and they couldn't come up with an answer. Immediately they abandoned their fields sown as they were and their vineyards planted as they were and they fled. And that year was Shrias, and so the Jewish people had enough to eat for the year of Shemitah in fulfillment of what it says in the Torah that Hashem provides for the year of Shemitah. So that seem, would seem to be almost an exact uh, replica of saying this is not Sadaka that we're taking from them. This is taking from the from the uh, um, payment, due. payment due. Now there is a letter from the Rebbe um, about this topic, which is written in the year 1958, and I'll read you the letter or translate it. it. Says like this: In response to her letter, it's like this is uh, the way the Hebrew is. It's written in third person, so I'll just translate it that way. <coughs> In response to her letter in which she raises the question of whether or not she should <coughs> accept um, payment and uh, reparations from Germany, and she doesn't want to accept them, and um, she explains the reason. So the rabbi says like this, It is evident, self-evident, that right now the circumstance is completely different than it was a number of years ago, when the question was whether or not to accept it. Because since this situation has already been going on over Pirsum, it's been very publicly acknowledged. Pirsum Achi Godel obviously was in all the media, was everything about the state of Israel, and the state of Israel made the decision that they would accept the reparations. So therefore, now, in 1958, when an individual will choose to yes or not take the reparations, that's not going to have any different, any, and that's not going to play, play any role in the international image or, or I think what's most relevant in the feeling that Germany would have that we've made it all wieder gut again. That's irrelevant. They have that already because the state of Israel took their money. And in their eyes, at least, the state of Israel was the agent or the, the representative of the Jewish people. So now, whether an individual woman in 1958 chooses to accept or not to accept the money doesn't make any, uh, um, doesn't make any difference. This is the allusion that we have, the only published allusion that we have, to the fact that the Rebbe was initially against the reparations. Um, and then he's, she says, she says, the Rebbe says, to the fact that you write about it being tzedakah, is it's not tzedakah, it's, it's to rich people and poor people, it's and we don't find any, any, any issue with that. And therefore, the rabbi finishes off, Ladati, to my, in my opinion, you should do whatever you can to demand the biggest, uh, the, 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 the largest, the, largest so, the most you can possibly most get. Can get yeah. And um, the rabbi says you should, you should take off 20, whatever you get, you should give 20% to Tzedakah. And, um, and, wow. and, 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 and that, that, that Tzedakah, and don't worry, the Tzedakah that you give will have no merit whatsoever for those who paid you the, the money. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were just doing what they had to do, and then you chose to give 20% to Tzedakah, and that's the end of that. Um, okay, another another letter from the Rebbe on a similar topic, which is, um, this is from uh, Dr. Mendel's archives, which is a letter which was originally published in English, although I don't think it's ever been published in English properly. Um, it's not, as far as I know, it's not even in the books yet. Um, what are you looking for? But the Reb, the Reb was uh, saying them yeah. operation. That's what they're doing. So, 
So the other question which came up, and again, there are very extreme opinions in the contemporary literature, a response, is about German products. So somebody sent me a link that there was a big ruckus in the media last week because the CEO or the president or something of Volkswagen made some distasteful joke about uh, a play on the words of Arbet Macht Frei. So he's in, uh, under a lot of uh, um, political whatever. But um, again, so basically... Um, there was some, like the lawyer of who was late in 2002, um, said that there's an absolute cherem and nobody should, that it's completely forbidden to buy anything that's manufactured in Germany. That was Hitler's pet project, by the way, the Volkswagen in Germany. Right. People's car, that every German should have the radio in their house, that every German should have a car. Right. Yeah, no, so Volkswagen is sort of worse than other German right. products. Somebody, again, I don't know much about these things. Somebody was once stashing to me how it's impossible because even all the Japanese and American-made cars have certain parts that come from Germany. I, I don't know. Um, and on the other hand, others have uh, had a very, I had to say that nowadays, for sure nowadays, and there's no, you know, there's no point in creating this harem. On 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 the German thing. I'm not going to spend too much time on that, but I'll just again read you the letter from the. Well, I'll paraphrase for you the letter of the Rebbe on this. Um, the Rebbe says like this. He says this is not a halachic question. It's more of a dover hatoli beregesh. It's more of an uh, emotional, I guess, question. Mm-hmm. And whilst uh, therefore it's difficult to sort of uh, establish a dover hashava stance, which is um, applicable equally to everybody. But um, though there is definitely room for such a behavior based on, again, based on what the Torah says to remember Amalek and that anything that has any connection to Amalek to avoid. And if somebody feels like he wants to take this, again, the Siddharatim, I think is the word, (coughs) and refrain from using German products, that's certainly uh, an acceptable uh, Torah approach. But But at the end of the day, it's not a halachic issue. And therefore, it's not something which we could, which we should sort of take a public stance about. It's a personal, subjective um, question. Um, oh, here's the I mentioned to you before about what would possibly. Okay, that's basically the the, um, the question about the German products. I'll just read to you the Sefer Chinuch, where I said that there would possibly be reason to remember the hatred to Amalek, even if Amalek doesn't exist. So he says. The Sefer says the reason why you have to remember Amalek is to take to heart that anybody who is Mitzar the Yisrael, anybody who is cruel to the Jewish people, is hated in front of Hashem. Right? So that would be, anyway. Um, just to finish off with a very curious <coughs> um, discussion, there is a Mechilta, a Mechilta on the Pasuk of which says that we're not allowed to accept converts from the nation of Amalek. So, somebody wrote to Tshuva, who wrote to Shailah, to Reb Shmuel Vazna, asking him um, whether or not um, that the Chayra, based on this Kabbalah of the Vilna Gaon, that the Germans are Amalek, so the Chayra, we shouldn't be allowed to accept any converts from Germany. So Shulvazan responded to him basically by making a Sfex Faker. Sfex Faker means that when you have a doubt as to whether or not you're allowed to do something, if it's a biblical mitzvah, you have to be machmer. So uh, if you have a doubt, if there's a, if there's a suffix, whether or not you're allowed to do something on Shabbos, so if it's Isidai Raisa, so you have to be machmer. You have to be stringent. 
But if there's a sex faker, if there's a double doubt, um, so then you don't have to be machmir. So, 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 so if Rav makes a sex faker, he says, first of all, there's the, the Rambam says that you can't accept Gerim from Amalek. Yeah, I was going to say that. Right? So he says, the first topic is, maybe we pass connect the Mechilta that you're not allowed to, but maybe we pass connect the Rambam that you are allowed to. So maybe you are allowed to accept Gerim from Amalek. And even if you say you're not allowed to accept Gerim from Amalek, maybe the Germans are not Amalek. The Gros said that they're Amalek, but we don't know for sure that they're Amalek. Um, and there could be other nations mixed in. So it's a sex faker, and therefore he doesn't see any problem with um, accepting Gerim from Amalek. Now, the truth is that it's a little bit... Um, Again, first of all, this was obviously written recently, but the Graal lived 300 years ago, and nobody, it never occurred to anybody not to accept converts from Germany before the, second, before the Holocaust, right? Uh, so, right, even though there was this statement from the Graal, nobody said, oh, maybe we shouldn't allow converts from Germany. That's first of all. Second of all, like I said to you before, if you look, look at the list of nations which are the historic ancestors of um, modern-day Germany, you'll see that it's dozens of nations. So to say that all of the Germans today, or even the majority of Germans today, are, are descendants of Amalek ben Alifaz ben Esav is quite a stretch. But I did see that in some of the blogs that talk about this um, this, uh, this Shuvah of Shmuel Vazna, that there seems to be a very an oversight. And that is that the halacha is that a Gera Doimi, a convert who is a descendant of Esau, of, of the nation of Edom, can't marry into the Jewish nation until three generations. Only the third generation Edomite can marry into the Jewish nation. Now that is not limited to Amalek. That is to all the descendants of Edom, all the descendants of Esau. So if you're going to take Rav Shmuel Vazna's Truva at face value, that the only reason we could take converts from Germany is because we have a double doubt that maybe they're not, maybe they're, uh, they're, they're not from Amalek, they're other descendants of Edom, so he says that we could accept converts from Edom, but then they can't marry Jewish, um, so because they're until the third generation. So you would have to have the German converts marrying into each other for a few generations before, you have to have a lot of German converts. But that would include not just Germany, that's a lot of people, right? Who are descendants of Edom? All of Europe, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, Why wouldn't you have the Sphinx fake on the identity of, of anybody being fed. So no, because he seems, there seems to be evidence that the, well, again, I didn't analyze these blogs, I wasn't taking this so seriously, it was just interesting. Uh, it could be that, again, you have to look into this historically, that the, perhaps there is more evidence that the Germans are descendants of Edom, just not descendants of Amalek. Hmm. So if that's the case, then um, perhaps we shouldn't allow Germans to marry even if they do convert, you shouldn't allow them to marry. Uh, I might say, if, if anybody wants the links to these discussions, they're mainly in Hebrew, so I can send you the links. Okay. I have a move.